I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk from Clue.com. Doug Lamarie State the Bears, Stephen Means. And what we're going to do today is look back on the Ohio State defense from the college semi, uh, playoff semifinal in the Peach Bowl and not just talk about what happened, but what it tells us about what might happen in the future. And we'll do the same thing for the offense on a different pod. And then I did not get rants out on the Wednesday pod as planned, just out of juice. So I have all the rants from all the tech subscribers. Love them. We'll do that soon. But Nathan, we wanted to do this first. But before we do this, why don't we talk about the guy who's been added to the defense for the 2023 Buckeyes? Because, you know, that kind of matters. It does matter. It seems like this guy could matter. His name's Jihad Carter. He is a safety transfer from Syracuse. He's been there for three years and has basically been a starter since the day he got there. I think he's started all but four games since he got there. Was a freshman All-American back in 2020. Was, I believe, an honorable mention All-ACC guy this past year. But a a solid player. Uh, Do I think he is an upper echelon Big Ten player? I, I, I guess we'll find that out once he gets here, but really it's a guy who just on paper is uh, versatile. You watch him on film. He, he, he can make plays. He's made plays and a guy who will at the very least, it bolsters the safety room going into next year. That's a place where there's some moving parts depending on, you know, whether Lathan ransom comes back and the health of people like court Williams and, and what cam Martinez can do in the future. But this uh, Carter seems like a guy who could fit multiple spots and just brings another it, – it's a veteran presence in a room that for next year with Ronnie Hickman for sure leaving, Josh Pr- Proctor probably leaving, Tanner McAllister I think for sure leaving, most likely leaving, um, it's it's going to get a little bit younger. And now you – much as they did with McAllister this past season, you're taking a, a proven veteran from outside the program, bringing him in and trying to help sort of stabilize also got to figure out who wants to line up at, with on the second team behind Sonny Styles in drills. Like who wants to stand behind Sonny? Uh, is this a, did you, I, I was reading the text you sent out some slot coverage for this guy, right? Does it feel like he's a Tanner McAllister replacement more than anything else? Well, okay. So maybe he's, he's like six, two, uh, one ninety, something like that. Like he's, he's got a little bit of size to him. 
He is Syracuse played a uh, like a three three five look. So you're stacking three safeties a lot of times back there, and he would not be the high safety. He was often the boundary safety on on that side. So I think he could be a nickel safety. I think he could be a bandit in in what Jim Knowles does. The nickel is interesting, and I uh, as we're about to talk about this game, um, how Ohio State should approach that position going forward and the kind of athlete it wants there because uh, something that's been happening these past couple games is the responsibilities on these safeties are pretty huge. And when you get on the field against teams like this, it can burn you a little bit. So um, what kind of athlete do they want at certain spots in this defense? But I, I th- those are the two places where it seems like he'd be the most natural fit. I don't know if he has the, from what I've, what little I've watched so far, does he look to me like someone like a Hickman, like an adjuster who would roam a lot? I, I don't know that for sure. But they talk about these safety positions like they're somewhat interchangeable. Sonny Styles, for instance, he and both and Perry Allen have both said he's been playing all of those positions as if I was trying to project where he is going to fit next year. So um, they may have him work multiple positions to find out just what's the best fit with this collection of guys. So he's in, and Stephen J.K. Johnson is out. He is in the portal. And I think from the perspective of what J.K. Johnson was this year, just the reality, he's the lowest graded guy on the defense that played a lot. He had a 58.7 PFF grade and 406 snaps. 406 snaps is a ton of snaps. He was 10th on the defense in the number of snaps that he played. Jordan Hancock played about 100 snaps. He had a lower grade. But from the production standpoint, he was a young guy, a second-year guy who didn't do anything last year, who was put in position, started at times, maybe not by choice, but because of other injuries and things that were happening at the, happening at the cornerback group. So he struggled at times this year. You could see him struggle at times. So from the way he played this year, you lose a guy like that, it's not the end of the world. From what Ohio State thought he was going to be, and maybe what he still could be, as a guy, he's only a second-year college player. He was a top 100 national recruit. He and Jordan Hancock were here to revitalize this cornerback room after some recruiting dips, that hurts. So I don't think you want to brush this off, but I don't think you want to act like this is the end of the defense. Best of luck to J.K. Johnson. This is why the transfer portal exists, for guys to to find better situations for themselves. And frankly, maybe being thrown in as a year two guy and being like, hey, you're throwing me out here on an island. And maybe like you didn't exactly prep me for this, and now I'm out here trying to figure out what to do, and I'm getting thrown on. I don't know. I don't know what it was. Maybe he just wanted to get closer to St. Louis. Who knows? But it was an odd year for him, and it's a little. I think it's just for everybody a little disappointing that it didn't work out better. Because man, oh man, we talked about this guy a lot. There was a lot of high hopes for him when he got here. The whole year two, you're on an island. You're top one recruit. <clears throat> it's time to kind of be on that island and make something happen here. I do think there's a couple of things at play. If this were flipped, if this were Jordan Hancock who were leaving, maybe we'd be a little bit more man. Maybe this hurts Ohio State because there is still that recruiting shine because we just never saw it because he's been hurt all year. Well, Jordan Hancock, if I mean, J.K. Johnson, if he came in fourth, well, he played snaps like a second or third guy just because of how many injuries they had this year. So he got plenty of opportunity. And if it felt, felt like in any way I got all this opportunity and we're going to get here come August and I'm going to be – third still, maybe even fourth, depending on Jair Brown's, you know, development over the next couple of months here, then maybe you see your way out. But also just something to think about, 
a year ago when we were having the Eli, Eli Ricks discussion. And part of the things that, at least from people I talked about, why they didn't go down that road was they liked what they had in the room and they didn't want to shake that up. Maybe they don't feel that comfortable about that anymore. And maybe this is the shakeup they were talking about. So maybe these types of conversations have happened before, but because they didn't shake up the room, guys stayed. You can't have those feelings conversations anymore. As you, Jahai Carter literally makes his announcement, what, like 45 minutes after we find out J.K. Johnson is in the portal? I, I would assume they're not maybe done with guy. The feelings part of you don't want to shake up the room can't happen after you have the cornerback play you had this year. It is so one if you've already things. had to talk with guy off the ledge once, maybe you don't do it twice. But it's not unusual for a guy to have maybe doesn't play in year one, has a little bit of a rough year two, and then year three is ready to roll. That's not impossible. Yeah. We certainly have seen that. And and this guy coming out of high school had the kind of talent that you thought, oh, okay, when this guy's ready to roll, he might be ready to roll. Mm-hmm. But th- these are exactly the kind of guys that I think end up in the portal sometimes. And it's like, okay, you played, it didn't go great. Now, do you stay and see if it gets better? Or do you think it didn't go great for me? I'm going to go somewhere else. I need a change of scenery. And it's not, not a wrong decision by the player either way. It's what they feel most comfortable with. But, you know, this is not the cornerback room that we expected. And I, they, Nathan, they need a corner. They well, probably needed one anyway, but now they, they really need a corner in there now. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, yes. This is the kind of guy who ends up in the portal. I hear what you're saying, but this is still bad for Ohio state. You went out yes. and got a, the number 54 prospect in the country at a position of significant need and significant impact. And two years in, he's out the door. And um, yep. you didn't get better play out of him, and you didn't give him a reason to think that he is destined to do something big next year. I mean, you're right. It's it's still – I don't care what his – if he was only going to be third or fourth next year because we saw how important being third or fourth was in that cornerback room this year. We don't have any indication, any any reason to believe that that whole cornerback group is going to stay healthy for an entire year. Um, things happen. That's not even a knock on them. It's football. So, you know, next year with Denzel Burke, assumingly starting again, and, you know, then Hancock or Brown, I suppose. I mean, Brown showed some good things. Um, but now you start, and once you get past that, like, who do you have confidence in more than you had confidence in J.K. Johnson? I think there's reason to like some of these freshmen, but can they do it as true freshmen? Uh, someone like Ryan Turner, is he going to be ready in year two to be starting caliber if they need him to be starting caliber as J.K. Johnson had to be and didn't always pass that test? It's, Yeah. I think they should be shaking the bushes to try to find a cornerback somewhere. Um, and I, I don't know that there are great ones available in the portal right now. Um, maybe something else shakes loose, but it's it, it's it's not a better situation now than it was at the start of the season. It's, it's the exact same. I mean, you, you thought, okay, you bring it in three, so you're only going to lose one in Cam Brown, so at least the depth gets there, and maybe you start building it you're back at basically the same number you were at a year ago when we thought, eh, well, if there are some injuries, how off, how crazy this can get very, very quickly. And that came to fruition. I think Nathan's right. But also, I mean, there were a lot of great talented cornerbacks in the portal this year. At least I think so from a recruiting standpoint. But a lot of them have already been snatched up by other teams. And so it's gotten really sparse here very quickly. Cam Brown, yeah, he, he's gone. Yeah, yes, he, was, he was the only one like expected to be lost, though. Yes. Right. But, so, of those but just three for next year, you're in. looking at Denzel Burke. Yeah, you're looking at Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock as the starters, right, Nathan? Most likely, yeah. I mean, we, we still have to see it from Jordan mm-hmm. Hancock. We still haven't, other than what we saw in the spring, I yeah. suppose. But just to follow on what Steven was saying, of the three that they're bringing in, only one of those guys is early enrollee, right? 
Um, that is correct. Jim, uh, Jermaine Matthews has already been with the program. He was down there, and then right. uh, so you're not uh, Calvin. But also, then of the of the three, one foot to Auburn, and then uh, Calvin Simpson Hunt won't get here till till June. So yeah, even right, in so spring, the cornerback depth isn't going to be great. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. you know what's going to happen though? Jermaine Matthews is going to start next year, so that'll be okay. Yeah, of course. No, I'm not even being facetious. Like Jermaine I'm Matthews is like is like on a rocket ship, right? Like I mean, I I'm not, not saying you're being I'm not saying you're being facetious. I'm often facetious, and people think, yeah. oh, if Doug says something, he probably is being a sarcastic dingleberry. If, I'm not. This guy's on a Jermaine rocket ship. Ma- if he is in the two deep, and he is a starter week one, I'm not going to bat an eye. Yeah. I'm not expecting it, but I'm also not bad an eye on Jermaine Matthews being a starter day one. Or maybe it's and it's one of those things. You need depth. They need depth in the cornerback room. But if you're talking about a world where you're you're playing Jordan Hancock and Denzel Burke, and you feel like Jair Brown and Jermaine Matthews are like right there, ready to roll, maybe rotate yep. or whatever. Like that can be okay. That can be okay. But it's not great. But to your point, Nathan, like this is not the plan. This was not the plan. That's from a clown movie that I like. You guys ever see? Uh, Quick Change. You ever see Quick Change with Bill Murray? He's a clown that robs a bank. I don't do clowns. I watched it. At, I watched it at a very young age. I watched it at a very young age, and it has set a tone. I do not do clowns. It is, no. There will be no clowns at my children's birthday parties. So uh, you know how oh, uh, clowns and robots. Oh, it, it's it's become like a thing for people to if you finish last in your fantasy football. League sometimes there's really elaborate punishments. Whoever finishes last, yeah. And when you're the guy who finished last, had like this. I, I read this somewhere. Had a terrible phobia of clowns, so they made him go. His punishment was he had to spend a weekend at some motel or hotel in like Nevada that no. was clown themed. It was just like wall to wall clowns the whole place. No. Uh, I find people who are terrified of clowns to be interesting. Uh, it's, wow. it's funny. To me. It's a good, it's a good, it's not really a clown movie. It starts off as a clown movie. So anyway, I like quick change, but that line's in there. Okay. So you know what? Quick break. And then we'll come back and start breaking down this defensive performance against Georgia. Next, a Buckeye talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. So here's my overall assessment. Not as bad as I thought, but also certainly no more than fine at any moment. Yep. Yeah. I thought it was very eh, most of the time. There were not real multiple catastrophic failures other than Lathan Ransom fell down. And we'll talk about that play for sure. But there were not a ton of gigantic playmaking moments other than great coverage 
on the route by Steel Chambers on the pick. Perfect. Perfect linebacker coverage of a running back out of the backfield. And Zach Harrison came within, and this is my fault because I went to the postgame mm-hmm. news conference and Zach Harrison was there with CJ Stroud and Ryan Day. And all we did was talk to Ryan Day and CJ Stroud. Zach Harrison was a fingernail away from ending that game with yeah. a strip sack swat on Stetson Bennett. I'm not so sure he didn't brush the football. And mm-hmm. instead of this is on the last drive of the game when Georgia went down and took the lead. And instead of it being Zach Harrison, knocking the ball out of his hand, Steven, I think it was a 26 rip yard rip to Brock yep. Bowers. But that was, I thought one of the few instances where an Ohio state defensive lineman just beat his guy and got pressure. Cause even though they did have multiple sacks on steps embedded, I thought a lot of the sacks were covered sacks. That was yeah. like in the moment in a game where Zach Harrison played a boatload of snaps, Zach Harrison played. No, I can't find it. Zach Harrison played a ton in that game. And 49 he had snaps. Enough, 49. He yeah. had enough juice left on the last drive to make that. He wins around the edge, like a speed rush. And it's like, my gosh, Zach Harrison, like you, you were that close, Stephen. We knew it, but you go back and watch it. Somebody on Twitter like sent me screenshots and was like, I need, I need therapy to get over this, this play. <laughs> he was so close to, to having a legendary Ohio State defensive play. So I do these grades. I've started doing these grades in the second half of the season every single week of how PFF grades individual games. I thought this game was the best PFF has done at actually mirroring what the eye test was telling you. Because Zach Harrison was awesome for most of the night. He just like that one play, would, yeah, you're right. It ends the game. But there were a couple of times where it's like, man, Zach's kind of everywhere right now. I thought JT Tui Malowow had a really good game and he had some, he had another opportunity where he was like almost two, he was like 0. 0.2 seconds away from getting a sack that would have come up big. Both of those two, um, and I kind of wrote this post for the morning on um, Wednesday. It's both of those two, it's like, man, if this coverage was just a little bit better. These two would have had opportunities to end the game late in the game. But those two specifically, the way they were able to win in key moments, even if they couldn't finish it, because Stetson Bennett was actually very, very good at stepping up in the pocket when he needed to step up into a pocket. And that's probably because he plays in the SEC where he plays against guys like that all the time, so he's used to it. But I thought that those two won over over Georgia's tackles more often than not. Stetson just did a very good job of staying poised, stepping up into the pocket, and then randomly ripping throws at moments when, like, you weren't maybe Oh, not random. It is okay, all the plan. That la- in the fourth quarter was very, like, you just got surgical. And where that's where did this come from? That's what he, that's very what he does, surgical. Man. That's what he does. That's when he's confident. That's confidence that yeah. he does that kind of stuff. It was odd, though, Nathan. So I thought they were good. And I will say, looking at Stetson Bennett's pressures on PFF on 38 dropbacks for Stetson Bennett, they had Ohio state for 11 pressures. So that's getting pressure on like a third of the dropbacks in, in nine of the other 13 games that Georgia has played so far, he hasn't been pressured. He didn't have more than five and he only had one other game in double double digits. And this was 38 dropbacks. is not a ton of dropbacks. So to get 11 pressures on 38 dropbacks is very good. But I did think a decent chunk of the time when they got home, I did think it was because the first read wasn't there. There was like a sack late in the game where you could see he wanted to go to Kenny McIntosh and Steel Chambers was right there. 
in coverage, and it was like, okay, well, then here comes the pass rush. I thought I thought the couple times they got home, it was a pass rush. So I thought they were good, Nathan, but also even you saw the sack that that Paris Johnson gave up. I can't even think to the guy, the freshman edge rusher mm-hmm. for Georgia, where it was just like the I guy kind of was, was like kind of on CJ right away. I didn't think there were a ton of those moments where it was just like, wham, somebody won immediately. One of Zach Harrison's other great plays was he – Read that jet sweep to Lad yep. McConkey and and buried Lad McConkey in the turf, which is a, another great football play by Zach Harrison. But I thought, I I thought they were good. I thought they were good. They were good. I don't know you would have complaints, but but also a decent amount of the time it felt like Stetson Bennett kind of did have the time to do what he wanted to do. Maybe because he's pretty calm in the pocket and doesn't get rattled. If he has some pressure, he's not going to bail. He's going to step up at Steven, as Steven said and make some throws. Well, there was a choice made here, and we had talked um, to Jim Knowles coming into this game. Um, how, how aggressive are you going to be? It burned you against Michigan. How aggressive are you going to be this time out? And he said, well, I don't think I'm going to change much. And players are saying, I don't think he's going to change much. But it was really a four-man and at times three-man front in rush that they were making do the work here. They were not bringing a lot of pressure. On the broadcast, I didn't count it in the first half. In the broadcast, they said four blitzes in the first half. And I counted two in the second half, and one was on the two-point conversion try. So two blitzes the entire second half from Ohio State's defense. So so part of this is you were relying on just the four-man rush against arguably the best offensive line in the country, or one of them. Um, and that's only going to get home so often. So you, that was really putting a lot of this on what you were doing in coverage. And I thought Georgia did a good job of maximizing opportunities. So overall, defensive line, they did. They played. Um, they rotated the tackles as always. That's nothing new. That's what they do, and they did it again. Uh, Zach Harrison played a ton, and JT Tuimolowau played a ton. Uh, Jack Sawyer played a little bit. Jack Sawyer 16 played six, snaps. sixteen snaps. The defensive tackles. It was Teron Vincent thirty six. Ty Hamilton. 32, Tyleek Williams, 25, Mike Hall, 16, Jerron Cage, 8. I thought they were fine. According to PFF, the pressures, Ty Hamilton got five. Nobody else got more than two. I don't know if I 100% buy that, but there certainly were times. And it's one of those things. There was a time at least where one of the times they blitzed, Ty Hamilton, as a result of the blitz, was the guy who got through and was the guy chasing Stetson Bennett out of the pocket. So it's like yeah. you got credit for the pressure on there, but it's because, you know, the guy who was supposed to block you mm-hmm. blocked Tommy Eichenberg kind of thing. But I thought that was a good defensive line performance. I didn't think it was a dominating defensive line performance. Well, the other thing to keep in mind, though, is something else we talked about coming into this game, which was this defensive line had to get pressure without getting burnt by Stetson Bennett. And that was the other thing that didn't happen in this game. I thought they kept him for the most part under wraps. He wasn't beating them with his legs. CJ Stroud was the quarterback who beating the other team with his legs, but you know, Bennett, uh, what do they have him down for here? Like seven carries for negative 18 yards. It was all like sack only gained seven yards. The rest of it was like lost, lost yardage. So that was the other factor here that those guys didn't allow themselves to get burnt outside the way they feared they might in the way that they had prepared not to give that up. You said he only gained seven yards and three of those yards came on the design run, which I thought was a very good 
you know, um, designed runs call for, for Stetson when they just motioned the guy out of there and just like, hey, Stetson just beat a guy off the edge. But uh, three of them came there, so he only had four yards uh, anywhere else in the game. Okay, let's talk about Jim Knowles. So, Nathan, what do we like? Do we like aggressive Jim Knowles? Do we like not aggressive Jim Knowles? Or do we like perfectly deciding when to be aggressive and when not to be aggressive, getting it right on every single play called Jim Knowles? I guess that's the guy we want. But he, they said on the broadcast, they said, it's one of those things. Herbie's like, Herbie's just like, hey, 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 we have these meetings beforehand and they tell us all the secrets. Well, that's what they do. That's fine. That's, that they pay for it. But also that was like the whole Ryan Day thing is like that was the meeting. The pregame meeting with the broadcast crew, that's where Ryan Day said, I don't know about going to call plays or not. Jim Knowles in the pregame meeting, and it's like, don't say this until the game starts, said he was maybe going to be a little bit more conservative. After Nathan, as you said, like the whole month with us, it's like, nope, I'm going to be what I am. But he clearly was. Like he, like I thought, not as many blitzes, not as, certainly not zero blitzes. There's one play I want to talk about where they brought, brought a safety and two linebackers, but it worked. Overall, though, I think you I think you probably could say Jim Knowles was less aggressive against Georgia than he was against Michigan. Was that the right thing to do? Did it work? Well, what's, what's your definition of work? They didn't win the game. They gave up uh, quite a few yards. But also, like, let's rewatching this game, and we knew this at the time, obviously, coming out of the game. If you take the Lathan Ransom falls down play and set it aside, and we'll need to talk about that more later, but I think it has to be brought up now because if you're starting to make like statistical observations and observations about mm-hmm. the final score, like it's a huge chunk of the yards they gave up happened on this play where it was just one-on-one and he fell down. There was nobody back there to help. And that's your ball game. That's why they lost this game. Really? I'm not putting that on yeah. Lathan Ransom because there's other plays that could have happened. But you understand what I'm saying, that if you if if Lathan Ransom doesn't fall down and still just gives up a long pass completion, tackles him, now Georgia has to work farther down. Even if they get another touchdown, maybe they don't have enough time to finish off the go-ahead touchdown drive. You know what I'm saying? Like it's It changes the a lot of things that happen down the stretch of this game. So that, that has to be mentioned because from really the – I mean that they they owned the third quarter of this game. The defense helped turn this game in Ohio State's favor. The defense was a huge reason why Ohio State had a fourteen point lead going into the fourth quarter of this game. So I, I actually would a... say Jim Knowles did a good job. Um, I don't know if I'll go as far. He was as trying he to decide if he agrees with the sentence. Jim Knowles did a good job. Yeah, that's a heck of a stupid question. Yeah, do you agree with the <laughs> sentence? Jim Knowles did a good job, and I'm not saying I disagree. After all that rewatch, yeah. I am definitely not saying I disagree, Nathan, where I think I'm, every instinct of Ohio State fans after the game would have been like, what are you, nuts? Of all the things I would do, I would not agree with, agree with that sentence, but maybe you should. But, Stephen, I can see you percolating. You're trying to figure out whether you agree with that sentence or not. I probably my, – my thoughts after rewatching it probably head that way, but I don't know if I can get that – because it's still 35 other points that he gave up, and some of this stuff was a little like, ugh. And some of the positions that he had, some of these play, some of it was just on players not making plays. Like I don't think Tanner McAllister had a good day at all. And, and slot fades are hard. I get they're hard to cover, but he did not have a good day at all in those situations. I thought Jim Knowles was better than he was against Michigan. I don't know if necessarily it was a good yeah. job, but it was better than what we saw last time, where it was like, man, it was clearly schematical issues. You can't just put it all on Jim Knowles this time around. But I do agree. We're just, the Lathan thing is just going to have to be sprinkled in all this because it's such a, it's a one play drive 
And it's such a Sean Springs moment that it just because even before they 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 weren't scoring it. It was their first touchdown since like the second quarter. So it's just it's it's the momentum it built up. The way now maybe Ryan Day has to switch some things in his mind because it's like oh shoot they just scored in five seconds. And so maybe we've got to change up some things on offense because we can't just throw our defense right back out there and let Georgia have all this momentum here. It changed so much when he just lost his footing. It was, there's nothing he could have done better in that situation. Uh, he, the, the reason why I say he couldn't – he's losing his footing before the before Smith is even out the break of the route. Like uh, he's falling already. But it's, you, had, you had like their fastest receiver run straight out of safety and prepare to run by him. And now you have a safety who's not locked up in man coverage all the time. Let's talk about mm. that play. I was going to say, but let's talk about that play, that play. So th- that play you have Tanner McAllister as the deep middle safety for some reason. I'm not exactly sure why, what set it up that way. They did that. But- they did it a couple of times like that, just not to cut you off, but there were a couple times in the game where depending on how they were, how Georgia was motioning, it would either be Tanner McAllister or Ronnie Hickman up up high, and the other one would be covering. So it just happened to work out that way where because of how Georgia motioned, Tanner, Tanner McAllister ended up being the high safety while Ronnie Hickman was low. So Ronnie Hickman's down in the box, and he clearly has responsibility for Brock Bowers on that yeah. play because Brock Bowers stays in the block, and then Brock Bowers releases, and Ronnie Hickman goes with him. Kenny McIntosh, the dangerous running back out of the backfield, comes out of the backfield and goes out into a route across the, the middle of the formation, and both Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers have eyes on him. I think it winds up that it's going to be Eichenberg has him, and then Chambers winds up kind of having short middle coverage of the field, and Tanner McAllister has deep middle coverage. And then mm-hmm. they have the two wide receivers out wide. Cam Brown is one-on-one with one of them, and Denzel Burke is one-on-one with the other. And then you wind up with Lathan Ransom in the slot, on Arian Smith, who's fast. And again, this is a situation where safeties have to cover. We understand that. I don't know if any of us think that Lathan Ransom's greatest skill is to be locked up one-on-one with a super fast receiver. I, no. I, I don't know. That wouldn't be – I like him when no. he's like coming downhill trying to tackle Brock Bowers. That's the kind of Lathan Ransom I like. But I think it is similar. We talked about this with the Georgia safeties. Run at the Georgia safeties. You think Chris Smith is great? Run at him. Have a Mecca Egbuko run right at him and see what happens. So they ran right at Lathan Ransom and they ran right past Lathan Ransom. And yes, he fell, but he fell as he went to turn. He's eight or nine yards off the line of scrimmage. That's all. Right. And this guy runs a go route right past him. And 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 it wasn't, I don't think it was a coincidental fall. I think it was like a holy moly, this guy's running past me. I gotta go fall. Which is not dissimilar from Cornelius Johnson running straight at Cam Martinez in the Michigan game. You get a a fast wide receiver manned up on a safety and there's no real help. There's no chance for Tanner McAllister who has the deep middle to try to get help over there. So it felt like they really in that moment, it's first and 10, right? It's the first play. Mm -hmm. And you have both linebackers with eyes on the running back and and Ronnie Hickman with eyes on Brock Bowers. It felt like, okay, we're not going to let these guys beat us here, right? We're not going to let them march down the field with these guys. And then you man up and you do this. And it's just one of these things. This is their defense now, Nathan. There's not three corners. There's three safeties. That's not a slot corner on that receiver. Tanner McAllister, who has typically been the slot corner, 
often it winds up being a slot corner, maybe on a tight end, but maybe on a receiver sometimes. Yes, I understand that safeties have to line up and cover in man sometimes. But as as Kirk Herbstreit, and again, we come back and do this, it's like Kirk Herbstreit's doing it five seconds after. He covered a lot of this ground. That's man coverage. They it, they played man-free there where there's one deep safety help, and it's man, it's not a zone. They played a lot of zone that game. But they didn't come out in zone. They came up came out in man on that first play. And then Todd Monken, as you move the chess pieces around, we talked about all oh, the corners good enough. You wind up with not a corner, a safety on a wide, fast wide receiver running the go route. And it's like, is that what you want there? And then most of the other time they were playing zone with two deep safeties, right? So in that situation, Nathan, that's the moment where I'm like, well, then play three corners. Like, what are you, like, what are we doing? Like they have three receivers on the field. You're lined up in man on three receivers. Make that a slot corner. Don't make it a nickel. Right. That's or you wind up in these situations. That's not what Lathan Ransom does best. But it, I didn't, it wasn't like he was running step for step with the guy and then he fell. Like when Kenny McIntosh got tripped by the turf monster. Mm-hmm. I, the receiver, I think, made him fall by attacking him so vigorously by Todd Monken attacking that defensive look. So I think Todd Monken, the Georgia offensive coordinator, won the look, won the matchup. And then when you fall, instead of getting beat, it's a 76-yard touchdown instead of a 40-yard completion. But I think he was beat even if he stays on his feet. And it's it wasn't necessarily like over-aggressive. It was a bit of a call there to go man. But you wound up, and it's the point one of you guys made right off the top. There were multiple situations where the guy who wound up covering that Georgia guy, you were like, well, the Georgia Ohio State didn't win that. And Nathan, that happened there, and it happened multiple times. We'll get to those. Let's stay on this. I thought Georgia forced the action on this. It wasn't just bad luck. The the fall was the worst-case scenario, but the Georgia attacked that. Yeah, so even as I say, I think Knowles called a good enough game to win this game or whatever, There, I have qualms with some of the things that happened. And it seemed like in both of these last two games, there were times, I think I wrote this um, in kind of a, a defensive a view uh, overview that I did uh, coming out of the game. It seemed like he's calling plays for the defense he thinks he has, or the defense he wishes he has, and not the defense that he actually has. Like, there's a reason Lathan Ransom isn't a cornerback. He's a great athlete, but he's a safety, not a cornerback. You know, Tanner McAllister didn't become a cornerback. He became a guy that plays in the box and has a very different role. Like, and the the safety, as much as we hemmed and hawed about cornerback play from opening night this year. Safety play is why they gave up a lot of the yards they did in these last two games. They gave up over a thousand yards in these last two games and safeties and the and, and plays were made against the safeties one-on-one were a huge part of that. So that's my biggest qualm here is that was it a miscalculation from a personnel standpoint by Jim Knowles to play this much man? Was it, uh, you know, gun to your head like, hey, like we have to play some man to keep them honest, so we have to try to line up as well as possible and and hope for the best. And once in a while they got burned. Uh, maybe that's it too. Maybe they felt like they couldn't just exclusively play zone against this offense. But man, just yeah, multiple plays over these last two games where it was just it was their guy against a safety, and the safety couldn't win the play. And this one was, I, I think you're right. Like it, it can be. Some some bad luck that he fell down when all he had to do was stay on his feet and give up and still give up a long play and it would have still changed the complexion of the game as long as he had just stayed on his feet. 
But I think you are right that when I rewatched that play, I saw a guy who was probably having to, like you say, you're recovering, you're trying to catch up quickly, and that's why you slip on the turf, and that's why you're down. Um, I, it's it's unfortunate because Lathan Ransom actually played really well in some other spots. I mean, he had some other huge plays in this game that looked like they were going to change this game in Ohio State's favor, and it's unfortunate that that'll be the one that uh, lives on more than the others. I thought anytime Ransom was on Bowers, he was having a heck of a game. I think he did a very good job containing Brock Bowers, where even then, even if Bowers caught the ball, Lathan Ransom, it was very Michael Maris, the way he was able to cover him. The, the, part of the reason maybe I'm a little bit more on the bad luck side than you two are is, yes, Arian Smith is fast. Half of his season production is in these three catches in this game because of whatever communication or somebody falling. It's not like Arian Smith had been this weapon in all year for Todd Munkin that he had been exploiting defenses with. He came into this game with three catches, and none of those catches had come in the same game. He had a one for seven, a one for 52, and a one for seven. Then all of a sudden, he gets to Ohio State. A couple miscommunications here, ending up on with Tommy Eichenberg on him, or ending up with Let's Lathan look at Ransom. There, we'll get there. Okay. Yeah. But, but, it, but it if Jaden Ballard, like- Ballard ran at a safety and tur- and spun him into the ground, we would Fair know Jaden Ballard hasn't played, but if Jaden Ballard's going to play, that's what he's going to do. Fair point. I, just, I, point, I want to point this out because um, it gets to what you're saying, Stephen. Arian Smith, you're right. Not a lot of production this year. Number 58 prospect in the country in the class that he came out in. Um, Kendall Milton was number 54. Dar- Darnell Washington, number 23. Marcus Rosemead, Jack Saint, 55. And then Brock Bowers, 105. So right outside the top 100. That's five guys, though, that were ranked higher in their classes coming out than anybody in Ohio State's back six, back seven. This this of the regular players in the back seven and really maybe That's anybody true. in back seven except for Sonny Styles. So um, and, and and Hancock didn't really play and Jacqueline Johnson didn't play. So really of the, of the people who got real snaps. Right. Yeah, there's certainly of the all starters. the top one of recruits on all the top one of recruits on Georgia side. I agree. With that. So it was it, it's one of those things where like you got these guys, these talents and um, <clears throat> Ohio State's secondary guys, I think, are solid, but they're not necessarily elite. And sometimes um, you can take an elite talent who doesn't hasn't even played that much and match him up against a solid guy, and it'll go in your favor sometimes. But it is interesting to me, this discussion of that, that inside cover guy, right, whether it's a nickel safety or a slot corner. If you're playing a team where that guy's going to be responsible for a tight end a lot of the time, then great. But this is one of those, when you have a team that is putting three receivers on the field, do you have – the faith in those guys to line up and play man. Now they didn't play man much. That's the whole point. They played zone right. a lot. They, right. Right. As, as you said, Nathan, they rushed three or four and they dropped seven of eight. And it was pretty good for most of the time. And on that one play, they decide not to do it. And you, you lock up a safety and man coverage on a fast receiver and it kills you. So that's the discussion of, I have always kind of liked the inside guy being a corner, not a safety that it's, it, you're playing three corners because so many teams, unless it's Iowa or Wisconsin, are playing three receivers most of the time. And who do you want? Like, who do you just imagine it the other way? Who do you want on Jackson Smith and Jigba? What are you doing? You want like a Tanner McAllister type, or do you want like Denzel Ward? It's like, I want a corner on him, right? So, I mean, well, still the best example that Ohio State's had in recent memory was Sean Wade because he was a guy who like aspired to be a corner and like kind of believed he was a corner and had like 
some percentage of the skills necessary to be a corner, but he didn't have all of them. So he was still going to be a safety at the end of the day, really. So having him as your slot corner that year was an amazing fit because he had a lot of the skills that you would want, but wasn't quite there. And uh, Jim Knowles said something early on when he came here about how they were going to recruit that position going forward and maybe looking at guys who uh, lean corner a little bit there. But uh, we'll see how that works out. I mean, they're having trouble finding corners regardless right now and keeping him here after they've committed. So we'll, we'll see. They don't just have them falling out of trees at this point. And the back six, as we said, Lathan Ransom, Ronnie Hickman, Cam Brown, Denzel Burke, and then Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg at linebacker. They basically played the whole game. Everybody except Denzel Burke missed one play. They played the whole game. Jim Knowles had talked all year. I like to play guys and let them get comfortable. They played the whole game. And then Tanner McAllister played 48 snaps and Sonny Styles played 12. So they showed that Sonny Styles wrinkle early. Everybody dove out of the press box. This is the most exciting thing in the history of college football. Sonny Styles, believe it or not, is 13 and a half years old. He should be in seventh grade, and he reclassified, and he's playing in a playoff game. He's a supreme talent. Get him out there. Lock him up with Brock Bowers. He played 12 snaps. It's fine. It's not, I'm not saying anything about Sonny Styles, but like what had happened early, it was like, oh, my. And then it was like, oh, it's fine. And then, by the way, Cody Simon was in for one play, and they almost ran for a touchdown on it. So, And I want to talk about that play, too. So in the end, there was a comment from one of our friends from the South Stands podcast, and I went to go find it, and I can't find it, but I saw it in the midst of rant slash postgame comments. And it was responding to something I said in the postgame podcast, which is the idea of maybe in the end the defensive talent still not quite there. And he was, I, I don't want to misinterpret it. If I do, I'll find it for a podcast later. But I think the general just was like, I thought Jim Knowles was coming here to like elevate the talent. How can you say that this talent's not good enough? So it's not to let Jim Knowles off the hook at all. I mean, he's in charge of this. But they just, there were repeated moments here. And this, as you said, Nathan, it's Jim Knowles maybe calling things to the defense he thinks he has or the defense he wants rather than the defense he has. There were too many times in this game where Ohio State wound up in a, a matchup where their defender was at an athletic disadvantage, a clear athletic disadvantage. And yeah. Ohio State let it happen. And so, A, try to be in athletic disadvantages less by maybe having better athletes. B, don't let them be put in that spot. So one, you can't do anything about on Saturday night, Nathan. You got who you got. The other one, you can do something about. So I think you still can see where you'd maybe like to see a bit of an uptick in the overall defensive talent, but there were too many moments when Jim Knowles round up with the wrong guy on the wrong guy and Todd Monken made him pay. Yep, I think that's a fair way to look at it. It's it's when you look at that like disparity in in the recruiting rankings, and uh, I'm I'm the first one to to always kind of poo-poo how absolutely important those are. But when you look at that disparity, it starts to look, frankly, like the rest of the Big Ten does against Ohio State. Like, hey, what am I supposed to do? I'll coordinate this defense the best I can, but it's it's all these top 100 prospects, and we've got guys who are in the two and three hundreds at best. A lot of times, Big Ten teams can't even do that. So it it's I, I agree with that sentiment that he was brought here to take this up a level. And this defense did improve this year. I think the way the way I said it in what I wrote up was I kind of laid out the stats and I was like, that's improvement, but it's not impressive. Like it wasn't when you factor in these last two games, you look at the full mm-hmm. statistical accomplishment of this team this year. 
it was it was a step forward, but a small one, and it wasn't enough to make the difference in a game like this. It, in a game like this, you're not you're, it's not like there's a fire burning at the start of the game and you're just bringing in a big blanket to throw on it and smother it out, right? Like you don't have shutouts except I guess Ohio State Clemson. But like there's no <laughs> 2016. But there aren't like shutouts in the playoff. Like you're going to win a game that's very high scoring. They they knew it was going to be high scoring coming into this game. It's how many of those repeated shots. You almost start off it's almost like you start the game with like all right, well they've got 13 possessions. So that's like, you know, 70 points. So how many of those 70 points are we going to shave off over the course of the game? I feel like this with Georgia and Ohio State were both essentially doing defensively in this game, and, and Georgia shaved off one more point. Okay, I want to talk about the big plays, but I want to talk about a couple other things first. One is at the start of the third quarter when they forced two punts, mm-hmm. I'm not a 1,000% sure that they all of a sudden turned into a spectacular defense in that moment and did much different, but it was an example of if you just sort of stay solid and hang back a little bit and make the other guy beat you, like sometimes he's not going to be able to beat you because I, and I have the notes here now I can't find it, but on one of the first ones, right? Brock Bowers is open and beats Lathan Ransom. And to your point, Stephen, I thought Lathan Ransom did a good job on Brock Bowers, but Brock Bowers beats him on a route kind of a deep mm-hmm. outbreaking route and Stetson Bennett just misses him. And it was like, okay, well, um, that's very helpful. And that drive ends up leading to a punt. And then on a, on another one, the other drive that led to a punt, they got into a third down and they dropped seven and it looked like he had a guy over the middle and Tyleek Williams just swatted it down. Just got his mm-hmm. hand up. So those are two plays. It's only two plays, but they were two, three and outs. And it's like, well, that kind of stuff really matters but it wasn't – I was looking, Stephen, for like, oh, here's um, a great adjustment that Jim Knowles made. And he did, they kind of just kept doing the same thing. And it was the realization that, you know, if you're not paying Patrick Mahomes, and if you are playing Patrick Mahomes, sometimes he misses guys too. Sometimes just let the other guy make a mistake. And I thought that was a decent example of that. It wasn't, it wasn't significantly awesome individual efforts by Ohio State. It was just a swat and a miss, and it led to two punts. And sometimes, Stephen, that's enough, man. And sometimes you have to let that happen. You don't have to take the risks because sometimes you can let the other guys beat themselves at least for a couple drives. I think there were moments when players made a play that wasn't necessarily designed. It was just like when Zach Harrison went in unblocked and just completely disrupted that jet sweep. That's just Zach Harrison being Zach Harrison. I think that whether you're talking about Stetson Bennett overthrowing, just like I said, covering – Slot phase can be hard. Throwing them can be just as hard sometimes, especially when a defensive back is playing underneath it, so you've got to pinpoint it perfectly over the top. I think there were moments in this game when the when Ohio State's offense got rolling and it became Ohio State's best defense because you – I mean, you had talked about this leading up to it, and we were even talking about in the press box how when Georgia felt that happening, that's when you saw Stetson start to get beside himself a little bit because now he's trying to play keep up with that. And so what does Todd Munkin do? He brings it back down to earth by running the ball, running the ball, running the ball, taking the ball out of his hands. But that was less about what Jim Knowles had done with some crazy scheme that he had drawn up and just more of the offense was doing what it was supposed to do. And so now Georgia feels like it has to keep up. And Stetson Bennett's not built that way. And you have to think that that, that type of stuff has to be built into your game plan because no one's going to play perfectly. Now, the the one adjustment that they did make was backing off the pressure. They, Like I said, they brought four blitzes in the first half. 
They didn't bring any in the third quarter. They didn't bring a single blitz in the third quarter. Now, they showed blitz multiple times. Sometimes it was showing both Eichenberg and Chambers coming up, and then they would back off of it. I thought that was pretty effective. I thought there were a couple of plays where showing that pressure and then getting pressure or some some kind of pressure with four after you'd shown it with more, that combination confused Bennett a couple times and and led to successful plays. Um, and and you're right about like this maybe being a a it wasn't like they came out and just shut them down, but the possession where Georgia started from like the 35 or whatever it was, Ohio State after the punt return, and then they hold them to a long field goal that they miss. That was a critically important possession in this game. Like if if Georgia makes that field goal. Um, it changes everything that comes after that. You're not Ohio State's not kicking a field goal to try to win this game at the at the end. And did I you think, think that's that, go ahead. Did. did you? They backed off some of those blitzes, but I did think some of the ones they called in the first half at least worked because there so was one. They there was one you know, that yeah. really worked that I wanted. To, yeah. But on the on the third down for the field goal, Nathan, on the third drive in the second half, they dropped seven. They only rushed four. It's Javante Jean-Baptiste, Zach Harrison, Mike Hall, and Tyleek Williams are the four defensive linemen on the field. He His first read is to Kenny McIntosh out of the backfield, and Steele's Chambers is right there. And then by the time he tries to go to his second read, that's a little bit covered too, and now the pressure gets to him, and they sack him on third down and force the field goal. So that's an instance of like, okay, well, you know, you drop or whatever, but I think they did drop in man, not in zone on that play, and Steel Chambers, who, again, had the pick on Kenny McIntosh, that's almost as big of a play. He got out and got on the coverage and took it away, and you wind up forcing the field goal there. But the one blitz I want to talk about, Stephen, is late in the first half, on a third down, third and 10, they bring mm-hmm. what I think is basically the exact same blitz that they brought on the first J.J. McCarthy touchdown against Michigan. They yep. bring two linebackers and a safety. The difference is in that the first time around, they dropped Jack Sawyer off the edge. Mm-hmm. This time they dropped Jack Sawyer and J.T. Tuimolowau. But you force Stetson Bennett to throw quick, just like you forced J.J. McCarthy to throw quick. He throws short of the sticks on third and 10. And then guess what happens? Denzel Burke makes the tackle. Mm-hmm. And Jack Sawyer is a little bit closer to help out making the tackle. Yep. Against Michigan, Jack Sawyer was the only help on that side, mm-hmm. but he couldn't quite get there. But the guy made the tackle, which I think if you said to Ryan Day and Jim Knowles, why did you do that? I think they'd point to that play and say, well, because we think it's going to be that. And we're going to force a guy on third down. We don't care if he gets the throw out. But we think it's going to be so quick because of the pressure, it's going to be short of the sticks, and then we're going to tackle and rally to the ball. So I thought that that was, again, they didn't blitz a ton in the first half, but that was like a super effective in the moment. It forces them into a field goal instead of a touchdown in the red zone late because the pressure is effective enough, Stephen. And it's like, okay, Jim Knowles, I I see you. I see you. But also at that point, it wasn't early. And I swear, I, I will say I wrote down in the second half, some of these times on the third downs in the second half when they just drop guys in coverage on third down, I was like, why didn't you do that against J.J. McCarthy on the first thir- on that third down, right? That was it. So it's easy to point to the stuff that works, but I thought they, on multiple third downs, did not blitz and dropped, and it worked. But this was an example of when they ran a similar blitz, three guys, it doesn't get home, but it does force the field goal instead of picking up a first down. So I don't know if you if you if it works, you're a genius, and if it doesn't work, you're an idiot. 
but I, I think you've got to pick your spots. And I think the bottom line is against the Michigan in the Michigan game. I just didn't like the spots. I think he picked too many spots to go after guy after JJ McCarthy. And I didn't like the spots he did pick against Stetson Bennett. He didn't pick as many spots. And I thought when he did go, he did it more advantageously. Well, I think another part of that was just the ones that they did early against Michigan didn't work. The ones they did against Georgia did work. And so because of that, now you don't have to do it as much. But as Nathan was saying, they were still showing blitz a lot and then backing off because, but because they were, whether it was the one you just knocked uh, out, it was one where they sent Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg plus JT won a little bit. So they got, they got, it was kind of a group sack effort in that one. Um, they sent so many in the first half in this game that worked that now when you're just showing it, Stetson Bennett has to think about it, even if it never actually comes. They never worked against Michigan. So when you just start showing it against Michigan and J.J. McCarthy in the second half, he's not worried about it. So then you have to keep bringing them. And then it kind of, it almost is like a, becomes an avalanche of making bad decisions. They didn't have to necessarily go through that against Georgia, which is, I mean, obviously Stetson Bennett did some other things in the second half, but I did think because they worked so well, Stetson Bennett had to think about it all third quarter and it allowed this defense to maybe operate a little higher clip than it had been. All right, let's do big plays. We had 17 big plays, right? Is that right? By the definition of – this is by the definition of the the stat book, which you can still bring up uh, at the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. It's it's passing plays of 15 yards or more and rushing plays of 10 yards or more. 17. My breakdown was this. Three of the 17 were good Georgia. Six of the 17 – were bad Ohio State, and eight were either 50-50 or just kind of football stuff. Stuff happens sometimes. So we'll run through those, especially the six that were bad Ohio State, next on Buckeye Talk. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, we're back. So, Nathan, I I don't know how you broke it down. Like, just if that's my breakdown, I think anybody watching the game would come to a similar conclusion about like where, why those things happened, why those 17 big plays happened. Eight mix, six Ohio State's fault, three Georgia good. Does that sound right to you vaguely? Yeah, yeah, vaguely correct. I mean, both both of these teams, I thought, uh, we'll talk about the offense more in the next one, but uh, some of the things that we're going to complain about or criticize for Ohio State, Ohio State did them to Georgia too. This is just one of those games where these guys were matched up in, in, a, in a really fun way. Okay, so let's run through then the big plays, because in the end, it wasn't only big plays, because they were pretty good at stitching some stuff together. But it was odd. There were some moments where... There was even like a sequence where it was like Georgia big play, Ohio State sack, Georgia big play. And it was like, well, that was a nice sack. It turned out it didn't matter, you know, because there were like there was just were moments. And there were times when Georgia was just moving the ball. But there were more like 20 to 25 yard plays like that. There was the 76 yarder, but there were a lot of things that were like, oh, there's a screen for 20 yards. And th- that'll kill you. You didn't make them work sometimes as much as I thought maybe Ohio State could have made them work. Here's the first one. Well, we don't want to run through all 17. Here's the first one that I thought was a clear on Ohio State. 
and it's the first big run of the game. It's an 18-yard gain uh, by Dejon Edwards, Nathan, and Jack, it's kind of in the pile a little bit, and Jack Sawyer and then kind of Lathan Ransom both have a chance to tackle him for a gain of like three, and they and don't. They run into yeah. each and other. And it turns yeah. it to a, gar- a, a gain of 18, and it was just like, well, you can't tackle like that and win the national championship. And it was just, it wasn't the end of the world, but it was not good. And it was clearly, Ohio State had an opportunity to bring the guy down, and they did. Yeah, no, I definitely marked that one down, and I, I had the same. And, and really, like, tackling was not great in this game um, for Ohio State, I thought. Uh, there were some exceptions to that. For instance, as you already mentioned, I thought Denzel Burke had actually a pretty good tackling game, at least by Denzel Burke standards, uh, for someone who's taken some criticism this year. But uh, overall, there were just too many times, especially in that first half, where they were um, – just a step slow or just didn't wrap a guy. Um, and, and that's why six points ended up being on the board. That stood out to you, Steven. You were kind of shaking your head. That was just not yeah. good tackling. No, well, I thought the individual tackling was decent. I thought gang tackling was terrible because both Lathan Ransom and Jack Sawyer got to the hole. They did their job. It's just instead of hitting the guy, they hit each other. But, yeah, that, that was immediately one of the first ones that stood up. Okay, so this is a this is a big play that I credit all to Georgia. But that little tunnel screen they ran to Kenny McIntosh was—I yes. don't know—was it the best screen ever run in the history of football? There were only five Ohio State defenders on that side of the field, and they had seven Georgia guys to block those five defenders. And he could have run for four hundred yards on that play if you had stacked up four football fields. It it was just like some of the Michigan stuff a year ago. It was just beautifully designed and beautifully blocked, Stephen. It felt like it was designed where we're going to run a screen pass where it's a one-on-one situation between a running back and defensive tackle, and I wonder who's going to win that matchup. Because if you look at the only guy who's left unblocked is Teron Vincent, and it's like Teron Vincent's like scooting along. It's like there's no way he's going to catch this guy because everybody else is caught up. That's great. That's execution, but that's a beautifully drawn-up screen. If you get a drawn-up screen where you're left with a defensive tackle and a running back, that's a touchdown no matter how far the distance is every single time. I think, Nathan, when you don't have receivers that you rely upon as much in your passing game, I think Todd Monken is forced to become like a screen savant. And how do you dial up all these things where it's short passes to your tight ends and the running back? And as Jim Knowles noted when we were down there, how are they open all the time? Right. It's like, oh, that's Kenny McIntosh. He's excellent at this. Well, that was easy. How did they do that? It's like, because you got five guys who made perfect blocks and they had the whole offensive line out in front of them. The only guy who didn't get out in front of the screen was the right tackle. Every other member of the offensive line was out there. They had too many blockers. Guys could have put on some sunscreen and taken a nap in the secondary. They had so many extra blockers, Nathan. It really is a credit. It was a reminder, not that we didn't know it. George is really good at drawing some of this stuff up which is that's what you've got to match at this level. And there were times where Todd Monken just got him. People have asked us before, why does Ohio State run these slip screens and, and bubble screens? That's why. Because that's what's supposed to happen once in a while. They're supposed to go for the home run. And I thought that was an incredibly well-executed play, especially the blocking on the perimeter. Ohio State, next time it tried to run one of those screens, I thought it was uh, obvious that it, isn't as adept at those things. It doesn't get the same blocking outside. It, it isn't as effective. And now they did actually run a few more of these slip screens. I, they've run more like more screens that cut 
out to the outside, I think, more this year. They started running a couple of these slip screens. Ohio State did later, and I thought that was smart, and it's something I'd like to see them try more if they can execute it like this. But that's maybe been the biggest frustration because I think from an offensive philosophy standpoint, it's incredibly defensible. You have these athletes. When you stretch the field out, when you get them uh, get the, uh, the defense leveraged a certain way, this is an incredible play to pull but only if you execute it this way. If you don't, then a lot of times it can seem like an empty play or a failed possession. And this is what Ohio State has been searching for. That's one that I, next year when they're doing offensive things, by, by next year, I mean, you know, in a month, um, they're going to, I would, if I was like Brian Day, Brian Hartline, uh, whoever's coordinating this offense at that point, I would put that up on a screen and be like, this is what we're looking for. This is what you got to do. This is it's it's right there in front of you. That's how that that play was. That play happened because Georgia executed the crap out of it. And as you said, a lot of the screens Ohio State runs, you're relying on a receiver block or maybe a tight end block who's split wide. They don't they're not putting their offensive linemen out in space like that as mm, at all as much of the time. Now, when you throw well, it to the running back, right, you throw it to a running back out of the backfield and here come the linemen. This was the receiver was he was a running back, but he split out in the slot and the linemen mm-hmm. got to get out, man. And they got to go to get out in space. That's a lot to ask, but they clearly were trained to do it. So, no. uh, yeah, I'd steal that play. Not not to infringe on next on the next podcast, but there was a screen that I made note of later in the game. It was a screen to Xavier Johnson outside, and I can't remember who the receiver was out there blocking for him, but the other person out there blocking on that play was Luke Whipler. Who didn't oh, quite get there in time. Get his block? He didn't quite get out okay. there in time to block that. So I don't know if that was like full design or if it was one of those things where like Whipler didn't have somebody to block there. So he was like, well, I'm going where the play is and whatever. It was more of a one-on-one situation, but Whipler was the second guy in the neighborhood. All right. So I'm trying to read my notes here. I think the second one that I put on Ohio State, and it's not that I put it on the player, but I put it on the design, is the Arian Smith 47 yards down the middle of the field where they decided the person in coverage would be Tommy Eichenberg. Yeah. And it is somewhat similar to Tough Borland on Devontae Smith. It is not as bad. And I will tell you, Tommy Eichenberg, man, like did everything he yeah. could. But it's that Tampa 2 coverage where you split the safeties and the middle linebacker has to run down mm-hmm. the middle of the field if a receiver releases that way. And that's what they called. So that's what was supposed to happen. But what winds up happening is you could see the two Ohio State deep safeties are covering the two outer thirds of the field, and they're kind of deep enough, but it's like they're not – they're covering those sides, and it's Eichenberg's got to have the deep middle. And it's like, Nathan, well, he's not going to because if we don't think Tanner McAllister can run with Arian Smith, then Tommy Eichenberg's not going to run with him. Like it's not his fault, but it's a bad design in that matchup and again, Todd Monken took right advantage of it, and it was a relatively easy 47-yard catch and throw for Stetson Bennett. So in the moment, the play that it reminded me of the most was Borland in the 2020 National Championship game. In rewatch, the play that it reminded me of was a play from the Rose Bowl last year where Eichenberg, uh, Utah ran like a wheel route and ran a, uh, I can't remember if it was a running back or a receiver out of the backfield, along the sideline and Eichenberg, he recognizes it immediately and he busts his butt to get over there and cover it, but he he can't get there in time. It's too late and it goes for a touchdown. And I thought that was exactly the same thing that happened here. It wasn't, I mean, Eichenberg knows what his responsibility is there. He's because he's Tommy Eichenberg. He recognized it immediately because he sees the field as well as anybody probably in college football. 
he makes the right decision and just takes off. But he's at the end of the day, he is still a middle linebacker. I mean, that's why teams have come up with this way to attack the Tampa two, because there are only, I mean, who, how many middle linebackers out there aren't exposed on that play? Like a lot of them. And especially if, if you're a guy who like makes the read and you're giving yourself a chance to, to, to get back there, you're not like you're caught flat footed. You're not out of step. You're getting back to where you're supposed to be. But the other guy is just that much faster and, and that much better at that route. And you're going to lose that matchup nine times out of 10. So, yeah, I don't, it's just, I mean, I, I understand stuff happens sometimes, but also sometimes there's things that like you can't let happen. And so I thought that's like a good design by Georgia, but I still put that on Ohio state to sort of allow that yep. to happen in the moment, the, the way it happened. So, um, okay. So the next one that I have is I think a third and six where Stetson Bennett has a ton of time to make the throw. And that's why I put it on Ohio State. I think it was a throw down the middle of the field. I'm trying to find it. Um, see if you guys agree with that play. The 28 yarder to um, yes to Marcus uh, Rosemary. Uh, yes. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's so okay. So I'm watching it here now on the old YouTube TV. It's a third and six. They bring four. He has a ton of time, and he rips it down the middle, and there's just a huge window in the zone coverage. And as much as we're talking about um, Ohio State, is getting, you don't want to get caught in man like you did on the 76-yard touchdown. It just felt like too much of an easy window on third and six. No real rush. I guess this is – maybe it's not an Ohio State. I don't know. Maybe this is just like – Life that happens if you bring a four-man pass rush, you don't get home, you drop in zone, and then you're going to leave yourself open for, for throws to be ripped in the middle of the field. Maybe it's too much to to put that specifically on Ohio State. I don't know. Maybe Is it just football, Steven? Is it just football? And that was just like a good play, and it wasn't ter- – nobody on Ohio State like blue coverage or anything. I don't think it's a full – I don't think it's to the extent that it maybe needs to be on this list, but I do think it needs to be mentioned because, I mean – I just got done talking about how I thought Zach Harrison and JT2 Maloa had a nice game. That's not one of the players where they had a nice game. And, I mean, we're talking about – we've spent a lot of time talking about the defensive back unit. Nobody blew coverage, but nobody made a play either. Yeah, yeah. And okay. you got to make a play. We'll keep, that on the, we'll keep that on the border. One that I thought was on Ohio State, Kenny McIntosh later on has a 17-yard run. It's not like 17-yard runs ruin your game. But Steel Chambers was there, and he stiff-armed. He was a great stiff arm, and he got about 11 extra yards after that on what was a pretty typical run play. You get 17. There were just a couple times when – I think I gave this one to Georgia, Nathan, but it was, I think, right after Ohio State went up 21-7. to I think the first play Georgia ran right after that was just like a 30-yard run to the right that was just like, oh, that was a nice run. And it was just like, oh, like it's 21-7. You just scored to grab all this momentum. Yep. And now Georgia, it wasn't anything spectacular, but you kind of allowed a run-of-the-mill run play to pick up 20-plus, and it felt like it sort of breathed life back into Georgia immediately. I think maybe I'm giving that mostly to Georgia credit for that, but it was a bad spot for Ohio State to give up a big play out of nowhere. 
No, I'm trying, I'm trying to make sure I have the right one, but I think it was one where um, one of their offensive linemen went up immediately, got in the second level, blocked off Steel Chambers. Ronnie Hickman tried to come over, took kind of a bad angle on it. Does that yeah. sound like we're talking about the same play? That sounds right. And, um, yeah, it just it, it's just giving up backbreakers at the worst possible time, really. I mean, it, there were so many times in this game where they were maybe one one play away from choking off a drive, and then something like that would happen. I didn't think the run defense was bad in this game. I thought it was actually pretty decent outside of some of these explosives. But there were a lot of those runs leading up to the explosives where you could kind of feel the explosive on the way. Because there was a lot of times where it's like, okay, if this one person doesn't make a tackle, this is going to go for 50 yards. And then eventually all it took was one offensive lineman to get up to the second level and knock Steel Chambers out the way. And all of a sudden McIntosh is off and running for 52 yards. And that happened a couple of times. Yeah, it's um, it's just a it's a tough business. So like, yeah, Ohio State goes up just like right at the right times. Georgia managed to to give itself an injection of juice right when they needed it. They get down twenty one seven. They go Edwards twenty one yard run. Then they have that weird penalty on Stetson Bennett when he got flushed out and threw it past the line of scrimmage. Then they go the forty seven yard pass to Smith when Eichenberg tries to cover it and they score a touchdown. So it's a three play touchdown drive after Ohio State was ahead 21-7, and it was like instantaneous. And then then the next one, this was maybe one that was one of the worst ones, is um, now I'm getting it. There's had some, I guess this wasn't a terrible one. This is what I want to talk about. They slid Tommy Eichenberg outside to blitz a couple times. The first time they did it, Eichenberg got pressure and – affected the play. I can't remember which play it was, but he like it worked. It might he flushed Bennett out. He did something that was like really good. It was a really good call. It was a really effective moment. Eichenberg coming off the edge really mattered. And then Nathan, they went back to it and they did it with three linebackers on the field. And right before the snap, they shift Tommy Eichenberg out to the edge. He blitzes off the edge and then Kenny McIntosh runs right up the gut. And runs for a touchdown, except he trips over his own feet. But it's a 50-plus yard play. And it's like, how did that guy run up the middle so easily? It's like, well, they moved the middle linebacker out to the side and had him blitz off the edge. And they opened up the whole middle of the field. And then a couple guys got blocked. And they had three linebackers in on that play. And it didn't matter at all. So it was a moment of like, I thought the first time they they put Eichenberg outside for that blitz, it worked. And then the second time, Todd Monken was like, good. Here comes a run right up your gut. And it was just like, that was, I think I credited that to Georgia. That's just a good Georgia play. But that was a backbreaker because that was yeah. the drive that got him back to 21-21. Yeah, I think that was that was like that, yeah, the possession right before the, maybe like the last possession of the first half, right? Uh, end of the first half. And yeah, I think they did a good job on the, on the, on the broadcast of showing that Tyreek Williams had actually like pushed too far out of the play. Like he had like carried through the attack there. So he was almost, now his back, was to the backfield basically or his side and he was out of position to try to make any kind of tackle and then Lathan Ransom was had a chance to make a tackle in a hole and didn't and yeah next thing you know it was it was off to the races it's just it's just you know, it, one guy out of position but but it is it's Ohio State like choosing to move a guy out of position and by the way I double checked the first time that Tommy Eichenberg blitzed from the edge it was the pick by Steel Chambers. And that Eichenberg pressure, I think, made Stetson Bennett maybe make a decision more quickly than he wanted to. So it's like it's two huge plays. 
One turns into a turnover, Stephen. One turns into a 50-plus yard run that sets up a touchdown. So it's not like when Jim Knowles did take risks. It's not like they never worked because sliding Eichenberg that far out of position, you're moving everybody in the defense all of a sudden. You're changing things. And it's this whole thing. You're trying to change the picture for the quarterback. So the first time they changed the picture for the quarterback, I'm sure Stetson Bennett thinks, okay, this linebacker sliding out there. He's gone. McIntosh is going to be open. And instead, Steel Chambers is right there. The second time, Tommy Eichenberg slides out and Todd Monken's ready for it, and they call a run play. I, as as much as we're talking about Jim Knowles being more conservative, he can't be conservative all the time, Steve. So the idea that there was an example of an aggressive call, one time it worked for a turnover, one time it didn't work for a huge play that set up a touchdown, I guess that's life, right? I didn't have a problem with either one of those situations where Eichenberg was outside, just because, I mean, he's been using Eichenberg as a weapon all year. And, it, yes, it was – I, we're, Steel Chambers was in the right position. That was not the best ball from Stetson Bennett when he was trying to throw that. That Magatons was very much underthrown. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, just turn around and there's a ball behind. That's literally what happened. Steel Chambers turned around and there's a ball coming towards him. So you try to go for it again, except it was the second time he did it, it wasn't at a time where Todd Munkin was in full trust of Stetson Bennett. So it wasn't going to work the same way if you're running the ball, because now when you're at a, you've got probably your best run stopping linebacker who's out of position because you're using him in a situation where maybe you think they're going to go off to the, over the top again. So then another one, there was one where uh, I put this on Ohio State, Nathan. It was right at the moment where Kirk Herbstreet's like, where is Brock Bowers? <laughs> and then like the next second, they throw over the middle to Brock Bowers for 20-plus yards. And you can see Lathan Ransom suck up a little bit towards the line of scrimmage. And Brock Bowers runs right past him. I don't think it was man, but it was like it opened a window in the middle of the field. And it's sort of like, again, I don't know if it was play action maybe, but – for all the good they did against Brock Bowers right when Georgia needed him, right when it felt like, holy moly, this is Brock Bowers' time. He was wide open in the middle of the field for a gain of 25-plus, and good for Georgia, but also I thought Ohio State let him do that. Yeah, it's. I mean, how long are you going to keep a guy like that down? Like, can you can you completely, like, hold him down for a full game? It's going to happen at some point. You're trying to just, you know, bounce back and minimize the damage, I think. Um, okay, so let's get down to the last couple. Obviously, the 76-yarder, we kind of covered that. I think it was not coincidental. It was, you know, I think I think Georgia forcing, uh, forcing that to happen to Ohio State. But then, Stephen, there's another one, I guess, the next drive. You wind up with Tanner McAllister on Karis Jackson in this, mm-hmm. down the seam, and he runs right by him. McAllister turns and runs with him. And this is more what I think might have happened if Lathan Ransom hadn't fallen. It's like you mm-hmm. turn and run with the guy, but he's got a step or two on you. And so then maybe as he slows to make the catch, you can tackle him. But he was beat. I think it's a 35-yard gain. It was the biggest play of that drive, Stephen. And it's that example, again, we talked about when you're getting these safeties in the slot matched up with receivers, and now you're asking them to man up in coverage, and it's just not working. And it wasn't easy. It was a good throw. And Tanner McAllister didn't get destroyed on the play, but he got beat. And it was the most important play of Georgia's go-ahead touchdown drive. I thought what happened the play before that was even more important because it set up them them to be in a position to be that aggressive. Because you got to remember, it's first and five. Because hmm. they're trying to sub, and Ty Hamilton is trying. I mean, he's a big dude, so he's trying to haul butt to get off the field, and he can't get off the field. So not only does he not get off the field, but because of the angle he takes, he's off sides. So 
Georgia throws a go route down the field. Cameron Brown, excellent in coverage, does what he's supposed to do. It should be second and 10. But because offsides and extra man off the field, repeat first down, five-yard penalty. So now Georgia's first and five, and they can be just as aggressive as they were to play before, which puts you in a situation as we've been talking about. You've got safeties trying to keep up with wide receivers, and that's never going to happen. But if Ty Hamilton – and that's like all back, basically back-to-back-to-back to back to back of the, the Lathan Ransom to the Ty Hamilton. If Hamilton gets off the field in time, it's second and ten. Munkin probably doesn't drop that play because you can't take that chance down the field on second and ten when you're trying to have a comeback drive. Also on that play, they took a deep shot because they knew they had a free play. Yep. And – Cam Brown in this game, there was a play early where they had a crosser to Brock Bowers and Cam Brown's trailing. They He lost a jump ball to Blaylock, kind of a back shoulder 50-50 ball that was for a 20-yard gain early in the game. Mm-hmm. But that was a deep shot to Lad McConkey, dead one-on-one with Cam yeah. Brown. And they're like, let's see if we can get it here. And Cam Brown knocked it away. Like Cam mm-hmm. Brown played that 50-50 ball perfect. Yeah. And if he doesn't, Nathan, now all of a sudden George at the five-yard line instead of just a five-yard penalty. So it's not like Ohio State's DBs got beat on every single play. But again, like most of the time, like when the corners were around the play, they did okay. It's just that there were a lot of times the the, the big plays weren't on the corners, but I wanted to make sure we gave Cam Brown credit for that because that certainly could have gone George's way. I really thought he played a fairly solid game. I didn't think that him and Burke together, this might have been one of their better games considering the opponent that they were playing. It's just that throughout this season, there were so few opportunities for those two guys to be the two guys who were starting and playing a lot of snaps for Ohio State. I mean, even the Michigan game, Brown gets hurt uh, with a stinger, has to come out. That's why uh, J.K. Johnson played 33 snaps against Michigan, but doesn't play any in a game like this because Ohio State knows who its two best corners are at this point. And it's just it. I, it's weird that you got to the end of the season, and to think that Ohio State gave up the yards it did and the points it did in these last two games. And if you had asked someone that in like week four, you would, they would have probably said, "Well, that means we never got the cornerback stuff figured out, right?" And you kind of didn't. But it, that's not what killed you these last two games. So in the end, if if Lathan Ransom doesn't fall down, do they win? Because yes. maybe Georgia scores on that drive, but it's not the momentum swing. It's not a five-second drive. Does Ohio State win? Yes, because that's probably a – let's just say it's a four-minute drive if they go down and score anyway. It's four extra minutes off the clock. Plus, Ohio State's next drive was six minutes. So then what are we down to at that point? Maybe yeah, three I mean, minutes left in the game for Georgia to you know pull something together there. And then – you know, it's, I mean, their last drive took 142. Uh, you're probably rushing a little bit more if you get the ball back with 246 versus what they ended up getting the ball back with that, that situation. So I think so, yes. that that The momentum it drew, but also just how quick it was to the point that it almost didn't happen. It's just in terms of, like, time cons- consumption. Uh, yeah, I think Ohio State wins it away from Ransom doesn't fall. Uh, boy, I don't know. Um, I know that I sort of breathed that out there earlier, but the thing is, maybe it just means that Georgia scores with like no time left and Ohio State doesn't have a minute 42 to go down and try to kick the game-winning field goal. But uh, but also it's... 54 seconds. Georgia had also had some other moments where they had big plays happen, didn't necessarily score on the big play and got held to field goals, but then they missed some of those field goals. So also you have to take that into account. Like maybe Georgia gets down to the 42-yard line, maybe down to the 35, and then they miss the field goal, or they get held to a field goal in that situation. But it's the fact that if, 
I'm pretty sure that's the drive where you had that touchdown, but then they also went for two. Yeah. Yes. It's, so it's that combination right there. Of you got eight points when maybe you could have just gotten three. And I did make a big deal about Georgia was only forced to punt twice in the game. Ohio State was por- forced to punt five times. But Ohio State did for- hold Georgia to field goals multiple times. And the dude missed two makeable field goals. Yep. And then he made the one. Well, like makeable, it's like, well, it's, it's not a punt. But it's a drive that ends with no points yeah. because mm-hmm. you force them to kick a field goal and then they don't make it and you get the ball back in pretty good field position. So in, in some ways, a missed field goal is kind of like a punt. And then the other time, Nathan, as you were p- been pointing out multiple times, like that third drive of the third quarter where Ohio, you know, Georgia takes over at the 32 and then they wind up holding them to a field goal there. It's another huge stop. So um, they did credit to Ohio State for for forcing Georgia into four field goal attempts. I felt like right after the game, the vibe was kind of like the Ohio State defense blew this. And again, we had a discussion of like, did, was it more that Ohio State fought or more that they blew it? And it was more the fans thought, the Texers thought that Ohio State fought hard. But I think if you were going to pin it, if you were looking to say like, what happens? Like Ohio State couldn't stop them. The defense couldn't stop them and that was it. And it was these big plays. I think that's, very fair for the Michigan game. Like you look at the missed tackle, you looked at the coverage break, you looked at the the cross, you know, the route where the guys cross and it screws up the coverage and you could see the mistakes, right? This was other than ransom falling down, which is the defensive biggest problem of the game. Nathan, I think it's more we're just talking about like Monken getting them into matchups a couple times and it didn't feel Maybe it's all the same thing. It felt like Jim Knowles was too aggressive in certain situations against Michigan, and that cost him. It didn't feel like that this time, but it felt like for whatever reason, whether it was Jim Knowles or Todd Monken, Ohio State wound up in some bad matchups in certain situations in this game, and that cost him. Maybe it's two sides of the same coin that it still would go to the coordinator of like, you can't allow the offense to do that to you. But I think... On a rewatch, I feel less the Ohio State defense, you know, let down the team, whatever. Yeah. Less blame. Less blame for the Ohio State defense and a little more football happens, bad matchups. What are you going to do? Zach Harrison's an inch away. Stetson Bennett made some good throws. Todd Monken's really good at this. And in the end, I think we can have a philosophical discussion in the offseason of like, is 42 too many to give up? in a playoff game or is 42 a number that you have to be accepting of that and realize you've got to outscore 42. So in the end, Nathan on this rewatch, how did it affect your view of the Ohio state defense in this game? Well, just to, to go back to one thing you said, like I, you, and this is a whole podcast on its own probably, but I, you could still pin more of the Michigan game on the offense in some ways because two of those explosive touchdowns happened at the very end of the game after a long stretch where this offense wasn't, getting any traction going and the defensive back was against the wall and they made some decisions that cost them. So not to get into that whole schism, but I, 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 I would say, how do I come out of this? It's you're correct that, um, that it seemed like sometimes Ohio state had the wrong guys matched up with Georgia, but I think that's because Ohio state had the guys it had and Georgia was going to be able to exploit that from time to time. Like they had some advantages they were going to be able to exploit. Ohio State did it back to, 
to Georgia too. We can talk all we want about Tommy Eichenberg getting stuck, but Ohio State did it too, and they did it with Xavier Johnson getting him maxed up with the with with the middle linebacker. So like, which one of those things is like not supposed to happen? Maybe and they and Ohio State still did it to their advantage. So um, I I think ultimately though, ultimately though, one team had a fourteen point lead going into the fourth quarter of a playoff game and didn't win. And I think that's what has to hang with you a little bit as a fan and probably as a player and a coach in this program too, is that you were in control of the game coming out of that third quarter and credit to Georgia for doing some things right, but you couldn't make the play that finished that off. And that's where um, it probably shouldn't have come down to, to Noah Ruggles and, and Ohio State trying to make a drive there late. I think you've got to find a way uh, up 14 points in the fourth quarter. You've got to find a way to make a stop. Is it appropriate, Stephen, that in the end, because we talk about someone's got to make a play, that in the end you put those last two drives together, one's a 76-yard, one-play drive, and the other one's a drive, and that Zach Harrison was that close to making the play. And that's not an indictment of Zach Harrison because, again, a- after playing three quarters of the game in a playoff, and going hard every snap and making some previous big plays and grading out higher than anybody else on the Ohio State defense by PFF. Zach Harrison played a very good game, but they were an inch away from making the play that seals it. Like the guy who makes the pick, the guy who makes the strip sack, the guy who makes the huge tackle in space, the guy that makes a diving pass breakup on third down. They didn't quite do that, and I think over the course of this season – as much as this Ohio State defense has improved, there have been times when we felt like, where's your Marshawn Latimer? Where's your Chase Young? Where's your Malik Hooker? Where's your Ryan Shazier? And maybe in the end, they didn't have one of those, and they came an inch away. It's, a diff- it's probably the difference between this game and the Penn State game. If in the Penn State game, J.C. Tuimala made the play. He picked the ball off and ran it for a touchdown. And <laughs> Zach, this exact game is the Zach Harrison experience at Ohio State. It's like, he's so good. So close, yet so far, because he did everything right except actually make the play. Because if if his wings, if his fingernail is 0.2 millimeters longer, this game is over with. But it wasn't, so it, it ends up being a 26 yard rip down the middle of the field, which hell of a throw by Stetson Bennett. Because I don't know if any of us thought Stetson Bennett would make a throw like that if that's what it came down to, but he did, and it's. It's interesting that you know C.J. Stroud and Zach Harrison were the two guys sitting up there with Ryan Day at the end of the game because those two's careers have almost been defined by that as these two really good players who do a lot but never quite enough to get the win in the way that you need to at the end of games like this. Whether it's like everything C.J. did, but they lost. Everything Zach Harrison did right in this game, but in the moment where they probably needed somebody to come up with a strip sack or at least beat down the pass, Zach didn't do it. And he came. Nobody else got in there. Nobody else. Nobody got, else got yeah. Nobody. Else. This is not a, so this, like this, he came oh, close oh, to anybody. Yeah. This is not a, like Zach Harrison piling on. It's just the fact that he's the one who was in that position. He's, he's really good. He's, he's a really good yeah. player. He's a really good player. And they were that close to making a play uh, to win the game. So we'll evaluate. I think we'll have this whole offseason to evaluate Jim Knowles, this defense, where it can get better. And I do think in the end, we'll remember just some of these matchups and how Ohio State got in those spots and what they can do to try to avoid some of those in the future and how much credit you give Georgia for this. I think you give, but I I don't think 
I, Nathan, I, should this defense, well, this is the offseason pot. We can do two minutes on it now. Should this defense be even better next year? Year two of Jim Knowles, thinking about some of the players that are going to be added to this, if they get another guy in the transfer portal, third year of JT Tuomoloa and Jack Sawyer and Mike Hall, that kind of thing. Is this, they gave up 42 in a playoff game and lost, but they certainly were improved from a year ago. They're they're going in the right direction. Do you think that they will continue to ascend in the year? I think the nucleus is here for them to be better in 2023. With what they have on the defensive line, you're going to miss Harrison. Um, I think you can replace Teron Vincent. Um, and, and even even with, with Harrison, it, it's it's going to – some of this depends a little bit on – well, a lot on, – on Sawyer and Tuimaloao really taking a step, especially Sawyer. Like it's going to kind of be like, okay, like none of this part-time stuff anymore. Like now this is your job. You got to kind of go get it done. Um, but then we know they have tackles who can get it done. Um, if Chambers and Eichenberg both come back, you're you're very solid at linebacker with some young guys behind them who are are knocking on the door for more, you, you would hope. And then the cornerback situation, um, as long as they don't hit an injury issue like they did this past year, it almost has to be better. That you can get maybe Burke has his feet under him a little bit better to start this next year if he's not coming off of injuries. Maybe Hancock can finally take what he did last spring and transition it into the start of a year. You've got some other guys to 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 replace. But Knowles, if you look back at his Oklahoma State tenure, it wasn't like he showed up and made that a great defense overnight. They built there over the course of three or four years. We had to take it from down in the 80s in total defense to like 50s to 30s and then made it a top five defense. and he's got more talent here, so it shouldn't be that gradual. And he hasn't had, he wasn't taking it from as far down either, but I think that there is something to be said of a year guys being a year more comfortable in this system. Um, especially because he even talked about things like what he wants to do with the Jack position never really got there. And, and I think there are some other things that, um, probably weren't as developed as they would hope. So what can you, what more can you do in year two with a lot of the same guys? I think one of these corners needs to be a dude. And then I'll say this defense will be better. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure Sonny Styles is going to be a dude. He's going to be a starter, so I'm not really worried there. If Tommy Eichenberg is still Chambers are back, I'm not really worried about linebacker. Plus CJ Hicks just taking that next step and being maybe the third guy. Cody Simon was pretty solid. Uh, JT looks like he's ready to be, uh, be him. So I'm not worried about that at all. And I, I liked what I saw from Mike Hall and Tlaib Williams and their snaps against Georgia. They need a corner who's going to be a dude. So whether that's Denzel Burke, whether it's us seeing the Jordan Hancock that we've been promised now for almost a year, Jair Brown taking a step, or, I mean, we were joking at the beginning, Jermaine Matthews coming in here and just being one of those true freshmen who's just like a dude from day one. They, all this other stuff we're talking about, they're getting home for the, for the sacks and all that stuff. So much of that, so much of that just feels linked to, do you have a corner who is a dude? who can shut down a side of the field, and they have not had that since 2019 in Jeff Okuda. All right, we'll come back and do this for the Ohio State offense in this game. Again, we want to we want to break down moments, but we want to talk about what those moments mean because you guys all watched it. So that's that'll be the plan. That'll be the Friday pod, and then we'll come back with some stuff, obviously, next week. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. I have a preview of the national title game on the college football survivor show Shahan Jeharaja and I talked about that game we made our picks 
for that game on that podcast. So if you haven't ever listened to the College Football Survivor Show, we certainly would invite you to go ahead and try that this week. But for now, for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Lee Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>